0: Hi there, global citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I am your host, Florence Aduke, coming to you live and in living color from Accra. It's been an interesting weather week. You know, they say people talk about the weather as a way to kind of chat things up, but I'd love to report on it because it's so interesting that, and I think this kind of dovetails into my conversation with my desk today a little bit, because now we're hearing that we're in a raining season. And in all the years that I've lived in Ghana, I've never in April experienced raining season. It's usually the hottest time of the year, it's usually like boiling, you know, maybe there might be rain somewhere, you know, when it gets too hot. But in terms of it being described as we're now in raining season and looking at the weather report, it actually does look that way. It's just baffling and I think it just really says a lot about climate change, but it impacts so much of who we are and how we live. And so on that note, I will introduce my guest, and then we can talk more and you'll get a little bit of context of how this is really impacting the ways that we live today. So my guest is an entrepreneur with a passion for social impact. He is leveraging technology to build innovative business models and platforms to serve the next 1 billion people in Africa's burgeoning digital economy. He is the founder and CEO of Price Pally, a sharing economy e-commerce platform, enabling people to shop for food and daily essentials together so they can leverage their collective bargaining power by buying in bulk. He has built four revenue generating businesses from the ground up, including PassJam.com.ng, which is an exam prep platform, and Lucy.ng, a trusted platform supplying B2C and B2B branded merchandise. Lucy has sold over a million products with over a million USD in sales, and I think we are in for a treat. Luther Lorien, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Florence, for having me. This is fantastic if I could put it that way. Thanks for the the bio. Uh, You read it out very well. I feel proud of myself.
0: Right, exactly. You should be kudos to you. (laughs) So let's get started. Let's let's jump right in. So tell us more. Where are you from? Where are you local? And what is your craft?
1: Okay, Um, I'm from Nigeria. I grew up in the city of Ibadan. I was born in a town called Obomasho, which is in Oyo State. So Nigeria is split in different states, and uh, this part of the of Nigeria I'm from is called the Yoruba race. I was born in Obumashore, grew up in Ibadan, then moved on to Lagos, where I'm currently. My craft, it's all entrepreneurial. I've been, I was uh, really, I've been an entrepreneur since I, I was a kid. My mom would, my mom gave me a lot of entrepreneurial influence. The fact that at the, at about the age of six, I would uh, worked with her in our confectionery business. She used to bake cakes and stuff like that. So I was um, in charge of you know, the petty things like get the eggs, get the flour, stuff like that. Learn through all the process of manufacturing then supplying and all of that. So that kind of gave me like a background to just create stuff and sell and make money. I'm also a creative, like I I, I used to draw comics in my primary school. Uh, I used to help my classmates draw their assignments and get paid or, you know, get some favor for that and all of that. So in terms of my craft or ability, I think that's where my passion is. That's where I do best, looking at a problem, finding a solution to the problem, and um, making that problem work for as many people as possible and making a profit of it if uh, it gives me the opportunity to. Um, But, you know, overall, I just love solving problems for myself and wherever I'm in the community and all of that, that that I find myself. I try to, I'm always, you know, going to doing that, like getting something done, basically help that hunts as well.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's a way of life yeah. for a lot of us Africans is to, you know, we have something that we need to figure out. And yeah. so that is definitely a way of life. So when you say that you're local in Nigeria, I mean, in Lagos, uh, where, where exactly? Because we we like to tell a little bit more about exactly you know where in the town, and I think okay. that dovetails with the why the where. So, how did you come be living, working, and playing where you live?
1: Okay, uh, so well, I, I've lived my adult life most of my adult life in Lagos, in many parts of Lagos. Currently, I'm in the part called Maryland. So Maryland is on the mainland okay. of Lagos. Before now, I used to stay on the island of Lagos, which is Lekki area, mm-hmm. but Since we, uh, my friends and I, kicked off Price Pali, I've had to move to the mainland, generally because the food system, you know, the node, I mean, the major food uh, system nodes or, you know, the supply channels are on the mainland. So, you know, being there in the thick of the action, makes I mean, for more clarity and for more operational you know excellence basically so that was made. i mean that, that made me move yeah. to the mainland and so i'm currently in a city in the, in the part of lagos called maryland it's also locally known as Mende. so that's where i'm at now it's very close to where i operate it's very close to our warehouse and um, our distribution uh, center on the mainland so uh, that's why i'm here and that's that's where i stay
0: Okay. Okay. So that's good uh, segue into Prize Pally. So this is your latest entrepreneurial, I like to call people like yourself, serial entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. So this is the latest in the series. So tell us, tell us more about the origins and how you came to this Mm -hmm. this recent project. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So it started in 2019. You know, I got married in 2018 and my wife would always like take record of expenses and stuff like that. Um, so monthly, she'll make it into graphs or like a chart and all of that. So we noticed that, you know, food was, it wasn't following any pattern. And it used to like always just jump. It was always higher than every other thing. Then, you know, that got me curious. It was the first time I was, you know, having to buy food myself or do stuff, you know, when it comes to food, basically, because I was either staying with my parents or my brother or my sister at some point or the other. I never had to worry about food. But when it mm-hmm. got to me and I was expressing it, I was wondering why do we have to like pay like thirty percent more than we did last month, which was just a few weeks back. So that got me curious. Um started looking into it, did it I did quite some research, found out that it was largely an African problem, like a third world problem, if you can put it that way. So you have, Mm. you know, Nigeria, for instance, we have the highest income to food ratio in the world. So Nigerians spend more on food than any other country in the world, which, you know, was just amazing to find out. Typically, a a middle income family here spends about 60, probably now up to 70 percent because there's been a lot of pricing, I mean,
0: inflation inflation
1: and all Mm. of that. So it was just very amazing to me that we're spending more on food than any other thing so think of a family who you have kids there's education there there's security there's housing there's clothing and all of those things no matter what you earn you have to like spend 60 percent of what you have you know what you earn on food alone so that was interesting to me to see okay what exactly was the problem here and how do we solve it for ourselves so we did I did more research, like on-ground research. We went to these major markets, looked at the food system serving Lagos. There were some obvious reasons why the problem persisted, and there were other reasons that just came through to us after we spent some time looking into that. So ba- majorly, uh, the food system serving Lagos and many other African cities, it's, it's very cumbersome and it's very inefficient. Like there are many middlemen from the farmer to the consumer there are several layers of you know middlemen that many times don't add value to to what the consumer gets at the end of the day and the consumer has to pay more. and the farmer on the other hand as well, don't earn as much as they should when it comes to you know um, the work that they put in. So solving it for ourselves was the first thing we, had, we we looked at was how do we like cut out you know all the extra extra that we have to pay for, given the fact that we were staying on the island then. So in Lagos, for example, the more you, the farther you are from the main markets, from the main markets that serve like the wholesale markets where these food items come from, the more you pay. So for someone who's staying in Lekki, compared to someone who is staying where I stay now, you're probably going to pay 15% more than what I pay where where I'm at. Looking at the retail, you know, if you if you're comparing retail uh, markets to each other. So we did first go to the major market. My wife, my friends, and I went to the major market and looked out for the prices of their you know, bulk items. And we saw, compared to what we were getting where we are, we saw the difference. So uh, we started buying for ourselves and splitting it, you know, because those markets you have the major wholesalers there, so you, it's it's hard to get retail and all of that. So we started buying, you know, for ourselves and splitting it. And a couple of months after that, we saw the difference. Like you could literally tell that we're saving money and we're getting more for. More value for money. Mm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, the next thing was, how do we get more, more people to to know about this or to you know take advantage of this? So we had a WhatsApp group, you know, uh, putting things together. Then uh, I reached out to a friend who we d- we had done something way back about the idea of enabling people to be able to buy bulk from these wholesalers and for them to be able to split. Like if you don't need the whole you know, basket of tomatoes, you could get a quarter, you could get a tenth of it. So we built like, you know, the first version of the website and the app. And uh we launched it uh November 2019, tested it for a couple of months, then 2020 it came into full effect. And COVID mm-hmm. came around the time too. So COVID also accelerated, you know, the use of the app and all of that. People saw the value and we've been, you know, pushing it up since then. So that's how we started, but you know there are very many other parts to it of how we got here and what we are trying to do and all of that. So you know what we are trying to do at the end of the day is just create a smarter food system because what you have now is you know there's so many silly things going on there that simple a simple process would would improve. So that's what we are trying to like do across the cities in Africa, starting with Lagos, moving to other cities in Nigeria before we. Think of, you know, moving out to other countries. So we look at the food system in the city, uh, see where the the blocks are and, you know, um, plug in our solution and, you know, take it on from there. So that's that's it mm-hmm. basically. Yeah.
0: So a few things that you said, one is middlemen, right? Yeah. We have we have a culture of middlemen all, all across the board. Yeah. And so in terms of how for this to take hold, you're you're displacing a lot of jobs mm. as those middlemen. Have you, or you will be eventually, has that been a minor pushback or is that something that you're just, whatever, you're not really, or or is there an opportunity to redeploy them in a different, yeah. more value add role?
1: Exactly. So that's what we are looking at. It's not exactly to displace them. It's to look out mm-hmm. for the people who are actually adding value and being mm-hmm. able to make them work smarter. So for instance, mm-hmm. you have um, a farmer in the rural area who has produce but does not have adequate information on who to sell to, uh, what the prices are, you know, how they, you know, make their own value out of it. And you have uh, a middleman who has the demand, like who is in the market to sell, but doesn't know where these, you know, these guys, I mean, where to get, you know, the farmer produce from. So the first line of problem there is information. So when you solve that problem of information, how does, you know, two of them, how do they get value for what they do? You know the farmer has to be able to get something reasonable, while the middleman who takes it from the farmer to sell it to, to the consumers also has to make their value. I mean, get their own value out of it. So for for someone like that, it's a, the problem is just information and arranging that. Um, I mean, bringing that arrangement in so that 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 can go smoothly. But you have you also have a situation where a middleman is the culture here. So what, part of what we are trying to change is the the culture. When it comes to, um, you know, off-takers, basically, you have some of them who have the money. They, they look out for farmers who have produced, beat them to the last of the, I mean, get the lowest possible price ever because the farmer doesn't have, you know, much choice and rip the farmer off. Then they bring it, take it to the next level of middlemen. So some of them just pick from a farmer and move it to the next person who's going to take it to the next person and who's going to take it to another person before it gets to the consumer. So in that chain where you have somebody who is just taking advantage of a farmer and, you know, moving the item to the next stage and making a huge profit off it, it's not exactly serving the system well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you if you can find the the real middleman who who would buy and resell almost immediately and not have to go like three, four chains just to make a quick buck, that's more value to, you know, to to the consumer at the end of the day because he's not gonna charge, he's not, you know, making making things more expensive. He's directly getting it from mm-hmm. the farmer to be able to sell. Yeah. So simplifying that and taking out people who take advantage of the system is like what price parity is would eventually do. Because at the end of the day, We want first, if the the problem we identify that's a major problem is the first line of information, like people knowing, you know, the farmer knowing where to sell to, the person who needs to buy from the farmer knowing where to buy from and when to buy. That's like a first line of information that's not there at all and causes a lot of problems, causes waste on the farmer side and causes, you know. Right, um, right. Yeah, so things like that, as simple as that is what we want to solve first before you go into problems around storage and stuff like that so for instance a middleman who buys dry goods and stores them uh, to resell is adding some value because at the time he's storing is incurring expenses and will, yeah but for some who would stock them and just wait for when there's a shortage in the market or even cause a shortage because they buy a mm-hmm. lot of stock mm-hmm. yeah you know people mm-hmm. like that are not serving the system well people like that need to be taken out or need to change the way they they, they operate so if uh, consumers have an, a, a better option and they see that consumers are moving to the better option they will be also be forced to 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 work very well I, I mean to do to do the right thing and we are open to work with as many people as possible as long as the value you bring into this into this very fragile system is not taking advantage of the system so basically so you know I, I'll stop there
0: in terms of building the verticals that build the business because I'm, I'm hearing that while it's a digital, it's an app, right? You came, you're in the front, it's an app. You mentioned mm-hmm. a few different things. So one is the farmers. So identifying yeah. the farmers, like that was yeah. probably no small feat in terms of determining no. who you wanted to work with, like, and how they grow, right? You know, some mm-hmm. farmers have good practices. Do you have a standard exactly. for the ones that you work with? So yeah. tell us more about the relationship with the farmers and... Uh, and how you kind of start to project what it is that you want from them so that you can bring like certain baskets to to the customer.
1: Yeah, so there are different ways we work with the farmers currently. The first one which really works for us is true partnerships. So we have organizations mm-hmm. that already take care of, you know, all the problems associated with the farmers, um, you know, imputes and the way mm-hmm. they should plant mm-hmm. and stuff like that. We're working with mm-hmm. three of them now so they already take care of that and we are just like off takers who guarantee that we'll take yeah. their produce and we are selling to the right people at the right price you know stuff like that so there's a first mm-hmm. layer of that that really works for us but there are some that we've uh, met with in person uh you know through, you know we we actually had um you know a, a form that farmers can feel on the platform and stuff and we also have agents that give us reports on farmers they know and the produce that are available. So for those, we actually have um, agents who take care of them. And there's a first line. So for instance, when we started, we were looking out for, we're just looking out for farmers with the produce and be able to like do business with them. But that was, it was very, very unsustainable because of so many reasons. Some, you know, apart from where farmers are located and uh, how they operate, what they plant and stuff. There are all sorts of issues that they make that really work for us. So we had to like come up with like a standard of, you know, that we need to uh, work with them. The first was the size of land they are working on, because what we call smallholder mm. farmers, mm. you know, in, in Africa, and not exactly for smallholder farmers, but they have, I mean, they plant less than what, uh, you know, the international standard is. So first we want to look at, you know, how much are they, actually going to produce how much can we buy from them over time before the before we exhaust them mm-hmm. if it's something um, a handful and we can work with we, we do work with them then we look at the produce what they're planting and another factor will be the level of education because at some point uh, when we're working with some farmers they some of them don't, don't necessarily regard agreements or contracts and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So for the layer mm-hmm. of farmers that we work with for now, you have to have some level of education and all of that. Over time, we'll be able to like trickle down to these other people. But for now, for the standard that we have, we you have to have some level of education and be able to you know um, respect agreements. So we have them like that and we usually encourage them to work together in, in courts so that mm-hmm. we have quite a substantial amount of produce to be able to, to take from them. So. It's a mix of quite a number of things. We also look out for farmers who, you know, some do have greenhouses or, or are technology inclined to be able to like make more produce for themselves from simple things like irrigation and stuff like that. So those things count. And when we see those, we, we embrace them and we, we work with them. Our model actually pays them more because we are able to like pay them better than typical offtake as well. And our processes are open and transparent. They know what the market price is. We let them know what we are buying and how much we are selling. And most of the time, it's a it's a good deal for them. So in regards to how we get them, those are like, I mean, the two ways we do. Uh, but we prefer the first, which is working with government agencies or agencies that already take care of quite a number of things. And we just act as off-takers for them. And it, that, that works best for us. But we know that as we scale, we need to like, Improve and increase our our reach to these farmers. Right, yeah.
0: right, 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 right. I'm immediately thinking about Amazon, right? You mm-hmm. know, that's the world, or, mm-hmm. or you know, the that because of my U.S. context, and I guess otherwise. But I'm thinking of them and how they purchased Whole Foods Market, mm-hmm. and the idea, and and I'm sure beyond that, if I we were to do some more digging, they probably own. I mean, they're they're now a product producer like amazon has food products right mm-hmm. so they're they're white labeling in some cases but yeah. I, I would venture to say that they probably are now investing in the agriculture sector pretty heavily yeah and so when you think about would you talk about scaling and and how you how you determine move, rolling out into bigger cities is that something that you see potentially because this could be mm-hmm. huge i mean there's, yeah you know, Africa, the sky's the limit. There are yeah. so many people. And as you say, you want a billion
1: digital users. Yeah.
0: How, how are you next seeing getting to that billion within this business model?
1: Yeah. Um, so first we, we are looking at, we, we solve it per city. We mm-hmm. look at the city, we look at the food system. We look at those feeding that system, uh, which is the farmers. Um, usually they are outskirts of that city or even far away from that city. For instance, Lagos. 80%, 70% of what comes to Lagos comes in from the north of Nigeria, you know, uh especially mm-hmm. when especially when it comes to the seasonality and all of that. So we we are looking at a city like Lagos, looking at um, Port Harcourt, looking at Abuja. We want to like solve for each city and see how we can connect each city when it comes to supply and those who supply them. So it's it's a two-way thing. You have to solve for the demand and also solve for the uh, for the supply as well. In terms of how we want to mm-hmm. scale this, it's a city model and we're going to like get it across as many cities as possible in Africa, especially the ones who, who have the same similar problem of uh just very cumbersome supply chains. What I mean, mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. we are able to, for instance, in Lagos now we we have the best prices when it comes to tomatoes, peppers, onions and stuff, people used to make some used to make their soup. And that's because mm-hmm. we've simplified that supply chain. Yeah. We've been able to first the first advantage is you know we get a lot of demand for those and that demand we move it to the i mean the initial um, phase was working with wholesalers so a wholesaler who brings in a truck of tomatoes has like uh, 50 baskets to sell and is selling for say 10 000 a basket we come to him and tell him look we, we want all your baskets and you could we could take all this off you at once. So, but you need to give us some discount so that at that discount we pass on that discount to the consumers. But it even gets better when we are getting it from the farmer. And it's mm-hmm. yeah. So it's the it's deeper discount. So when you have advantages, especially on price, it's a it's a big factor for consumers because price is very. I mean, it's a very price sensitive market. For as low as I mean, a fifty naira. You know difference and prices will make consumers come to you because things are just really tough you know so yeah yeah we've been able to figure that out using those um, products i mentioned because we found out that's what you know a lot of people buy more and so we see that Mm -hmm. once we're able to like solve for price and solve for convenience then we can rapidly grow and that's what we're experiencing now rapidly grow that so at the end of the day what really matters is supply because you can actually tweak demand in any way, form or possible. You can, you know, there are many ways to let people come to you to buy. But what you have to make sure is that supply is consistent. Supply is, uh, you know, always there at the right price and at the best quality. So that's where, you know, like you said, Amazon is, you know, investing in in a lot of that. I also know that Bill Gates is buying a lot of land and, you know, investing in agriculture. I know, you know, these guys see what the future is. So mm-hmm. yeah, we also see that, and we need to solve for ourselves because you know Amazon is not, wouldn't solve for Africa. Um, you know right. all these guys will solve for. Right.
0: Africa. Well, we, we're looking to you to be
1: that Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to be. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so we we need to solve for ourselves. We need to, It's not like the systems don't work. It's just that mm-hmm. we do many silly things that don't make sense. You know, tomatoes from t- up until now. And it's always been, I mean, people have identified this problem for a long time. So most of the tomatoes that come in from the north to Lagos are usually, you know, packed in baskets, in in woven baskets. And it's guaranteed that you lose, for that journey of almost a day, you lose about 30% of that. And it's been that since. It's still that now, you know, so Mm. it makes no sense. So, you know, we use crates, you know, to move items. Except when the customers request for, you know, woven baskets, because some actually do because they are very used to it. So, you know, we, mm. yeah, we, we save more money than the typical wholesaler in the market will do because we just use, um, you know, crates instead of baskets. So there are, you know, things like that that mm-hmm. can easily, mm-hmm. yeah. And there are many ways where infrastructure is also. Like the bane of the problem, storage, for instance, mm-hmm. is exactly. yeah, it's mm-hmm. just ridiculous. If we had good storage systems, you know, we would save a lot of food. Food wouldn't be expensive. For mm-hmm. instance, you, know, you see a situation where food is when food is in season, the prices drop ridiculously. Like there are some right. times that we, I mean, when some food items are in season the farmer literally gives you like you bought everything, but he still has enough supply and he just gives it out because there's nothing to do with it. Otherwise it's going to get spoiled and all of that. So you, Mm -hmm. in that instance, that farmer could actually make more money if, you know, if there's a way for him to store that food over a period of time, but you know, electricity, all sorts of things are just like really critical, but yeah, we have to solve it where we are and we have to like do the best we can and grow from there. So that's, that's what we believe. And, Hopefully serve the billions of people who would appreciate this.
0: In your dealings and, you know, on your everyday life, I want to ask you my glocal speak question. And so okay. we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase or a saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as glocal
1: speak. Oh, OK. Interesting. Um, mm mm-hmm. Oh, uh, um, let me think about it. Quite. I mean, you mean slangs like we use here, where am I? That means something. Sure. Like, yeah.
0: Sure. Yeah.
1: Okay. I mean, I, I'm sure there are a lot, but it's just hard for me to remember now. But the ones I remember, there's, you know, there's this thing in this part of Nigeria, like people tell you, shine your eye. And uh-huh. sh- shine mm-hmm. your eye just means be alert, you know, don't let people, I mean, don't, if you are not alert, things can go horribly wrong like people could swab you or take advantage of you so and that's oh, nice. literally like a lagos phrase where everybody's at a lot because you don't want to like miss out or something or you don't want to be the victim when it comes to maybe whatever it is so shine your eyes like get yourself alert. another thing well when you say shine your eye it follows with mafo so mafo means don't break literally so mm. it, yeah so it's like people telling you not give up or, you know, don't don't lose heart, basically. Like if something happens or you are considering something and, you know, a friend just tells you my fault. It's part of a song. It's this very weird guy called, um, I can't remember his name now, but it's kind of like a notorious guy. <laughs> but that, that mm-hmm. song really, really picked picked up for, for it for some time. You know, so okay. that's what yeah. my fault means. And it's some sort of encouragement, like don't give up. Oh,
0: okay. I like that one. Mafo. Is that how, yeah. you, how, you, how you say it? <laughs> uh,
1: it's Mafo. So the F-O is for, like you're saying. four, fo, yeah. Mafo.
0: Yeah, Mafo. Okay, you're very, the Yoruba yeah. way. Yeah, <laughs> Not way, the Ga exactly. way. Like, yeah. like I would say, oh, like, yeah, okay. So Mafo. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. I like that. I like that glocal speak. Wonderful. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. So let's turn... Um, to a little bit more about how you came into this whole digital space. And Mm -hmm. and also I want to talk a little bit more because I know that you are part of um, um, a seed funding round and you've done a a bit in terms Mm -hmm. of getting, being seen and being supported by a lot of these um, organizations that are looking to identify the next big thing. So tell us about your previous serial experiences and how that has placed you where you are now?
1: So my journey into this was just uh, out of a lot of curiosity and Mm -hmm. excitement for what tech does. So since I found out about the internet, I've loved it, spent time there, you know, chatting, making friends, looking for solutions around it. So I always knew that any solution I would build would be around, you know, the internet. The first, if I remember clearly, was um, something called Green White Polls. And uh, it was basically an online polling platform where people could give their opinions on different things and all of that. And it did quite well, but it was like too early for its time and I couldn't monetize it. So I had to like right. stop it. I went on to start up another company. Um, there was a friend of mine whose wife used to make a lot of some delicacies using potatoes, sweet potato and Irish potato. So at that time, Twitter was like very new. And, you know, there were a lot of young people on Twitter back then. So I start myself, I mean, together with him and the wife, we started off uh, Potato Lagos. So she would cook and I would market it on Twitter and would deliver using bicycles and all of that. And it went pretty well. But my partner, you know, we had some very fundamental differences. So I had to like leave. Uh, so from there, I went on to start Pass Jam, which was like a test prep site for students uh-huh. uh, preparing for an exam, popular <clears throat> a popular exam called Jam in Nigeria. So that went well. I mean, we grew that to for about two years, then I sold it to another rival company. Then I used the money to start off Lucy and Lucy. I that was at Lucy for about three, four years, and um, yeah, about three, four, or five years, yeah. There came the issue of price value, and you know what really got me to Price Valley was like it was it's a quite a huge challenge and it's something worth solving. So that's what made me come to there. So but in my journey, I've always been fortunate to find people who would help in one way or the other. And I think price value has been quite a significant one because we've been able to like meet with you know organizations who are very interested in what we are doing. And who would, yeah, who are supporting us, quite a number of them. Shoupa I was at MIT. I was at I was at Westerwald in Germany. You know, the solution has taken me quite, you know, different places. and I met different people, you know. But at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to solve this problem. And hopefully, we will in, in good time. Yeah, my journey has been, you know, when, when you're actually solving problems, you would, you know, you'd always meet people who are interested or who could help or lend a hand and all of that. And that's been my experience. Yeah,
0: right. In your role, are you more of the strategy person? Are you a programmer? What is your What is your You know, I know you're the solutions person, but technically, mm. what What exactly is your day to day like in terms of how you operate? Yeah. Business?
1: So in terms of tech, I I don't know anything about tech. Um, I have a friend who <laughs> who is a tech guy, but I most of the time just think of the idea, you know, running by people and try to like get the best things. Best out of it, so I'm more of the uh, visionary person who sees what should be and try to like execute it. I find it quite easy to find solutions and just map it out. You know, yeah. So when you do that, then people come in at wherever they are able to like, you know, solve or where their own strengths come in. So I think it's more of a person who who moves from zero to one, who you know moves the moves it from nothing to something. Then. People can take it up on that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so, in terms of um, identifying talent, so a lot of its partnerships, a lot of its like-minded individuals. But as you're operating, yeah. what are some of the potential challenges that you've experienced in terms of identifying and retaining staff and talent to to help crystallize the vision?
1: Uh. So number one is identifying the talent then two is maintaining them you know because talented people who know they are talented many times mm-hmm. can be impatient and the attitude matters so that's like especially creatives i like, have had problems with because we have um, for example graphic designers who come up with you know designs for social media and all of that we've had to go through like mm-hmm. three or four until this last person just joined us and has been with us for a while as much as you have talent, you also have to have that work ethic to be able to like match up and also have that attitude to be able to work with team members. So, you know, sometimes you find talent, you don't find that uh, component of of the good attitude or you find talent, work ethic. I mean, talent, good attitude, but zero work, I mean, poor work ethic and all of that. So while while I try to understand as much as possible because of the different challenges people go through, we also make sure to to see that those things are not—they are not out of place. Because once they are, then you have problems of working together. So it's more important to me that you are. Talent is important, but I think the work ethic and the attitude is can be more important sometimes because of what I've seen, what I've experienced so far. Another thing will be how you work, how you get people to work together. Because people are different. You know, um, You know, in our workplace, we have people from different generations and having them work together is mm. can be challenging yeah we have gen Zs, we have millennials and we have the older ones so you have to be able to manage those generations together because they speak differently they expect different outcomes they you know and, and the, i mean there's there's also the culture of respect in you know in this part of the world where uh, the older generation expects the new generation to like respect them no matter what and this new generation you know would only respect you if you if they deem fit or they don't even see what you see as respect. As respect, you know. So we've had, you know, there's all these human mm-hmm. interactions that come mm-hmm. to play, but you just have to like manage it and let people learn from each other and see how to work together. So all sorts of things. I wouldn't know where to start.
0: You bring up a really good point with the the Gen Zs versus the Millennials versus you, I'm sure you have some Xs yeah. in there somewhere, or at least the, your funders are yeah. probably ended, so. <laughs> so yeah, so that's an interesting you yeah. know, dichotomy or trichotomy to, to trying to navigate in in terms of potentially and that you mentioned the respect piece because you know it is yeah. very ingrained in our cultures here and. The, the idea of who yeah. is the senior then becomes even a question because everyone feels like they're at an equal playing mm. field. So, yeah, those are. So what kind of professional development do you do or have you had to kind of engage in to to solve for, for that those internal operational smoothing systems?
1: Well, um, I won't be able to answer that correctly because we put that on HR. But where I come in many of the times is when there's a friction because I'm mm-hmm. the CEO. Yeah. So. Yeah. Both parties tend to listen to me and I, you know, try to find like that middle ground for everyone to be able to work together. So, but, you know, I do know that. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, at Price Valley, we work with locals, like people who grew up in the markets where we operate because they speak the language. They know deeper, they have deeper knowledge that you, you can't get in Harvard or anywhere. So, I mean, we work with people like that. So people like that coming through with and working together with a Gen Z who is on, who is operating, you know, who is in charge of our digital marketing can be challenging sometimes. So I come in to solve mm. problems like that, but where we try to upskill everybody is in their own departments. And, you know, whatever their skill is, we have uh, resources for them to be able to like, you know, get better. And we do have, we do intentionally have meetings where we mix people up to be able to like work together, to be able to like interact mm-hmm. and see mm-hmm. things from, you know, their own perspective, you know, so that helps, but it's not like a 100% thing, no matter what you do, there'll still be all these issues. And once you just have to make sure you address them and let everybody be on the same page. And from there, you'll be you'll be amazed at what comes out after people just listen to each other and know, okay, this is how this person is, this is how I am, this is where I shouldn't, you know, touch. This is, you know, they respect their boundaries and they love that. Once that is done, people tend to work very well with themselves, no matter what the generation is. It's mostly how people understand themselves. And once once you get through to that, it's almost a smooth scale. But initially you have all sorts of, you know, issues. Yeah. yeah
0: friction. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I think that's great segue into my mindset okay. hack question. So, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? And this is one that you know of, one that you practice, or one that you can imagine.
1: Yeah, so I usually, it happens almost every day when there's a problem to like solve and all. I usually just take a walk. I take a walk, yeah, and mm. I go. I like mm-hmm. the greenery. I like uh, nature, yeah. But yeah. in Lagos, where I am, yeah. it's yeah. quite hard to find such. <laughs> so. I know. I I usually just take
0: (laughs) That is my biggest complaint about your city is that there's No, not
1: not enough that I like I would want to. There's green, right? But it's not close. Yeah. It's not close to to what Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I get get the workings and once I
1: do, I clear my head out, then solutions come, then I rush back to write whatever I have in my mind and execute it and see if it works. So that's that's it. Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. So we've talked about all your business life and the solution solver. So we want to know a little bit more about you that's not at the work at uh, all. And so I like to ask if you are a, a reader, a watcher or a listener and to share some of your favorite reads or watches or listens.
1: Oh, OK. So I don't read as much as I used to, mm-hmm. but I do observe now. So I think. I ask to do a lot with uh, watcher. Like I do a lot of watching online, and also you know just observing people, observing you know nature around me and stuff. So I mean, for a good book, this is a book by Jordan Peterson that I'm reading currently was the title again. Sorry, the title just skipped my head. A book I I I loved since I was a kid was Animal Farm. Mm,
0: okay.
1: It was yeah. It was very. It, it engaged my mind a lot in terms of imagine, imagination of, you know, animals coming together to work and, you know, also teaching real life experiences for humans and all of that. So that was a good one. And in terms of music uh, listening, I do some podcasts, but I do listen to more music than listen to podcasts and all that. I have quite an, a vast interest when it comes to music, from mm-hmm. jazz to rap to hip hop to local music. You know, so I wouldn't know which to pick. Yeah, so that's that's it, basically.
0: So um, the book you said, Jordan Peterson? Yeah. Uh, 12, 12 Rules for Life. life.
1: Yeah, 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 12 Rules for okay. Life. Yeah. So okay. I'm on that, and I find it quite intriguing.
0: Okay, okay. We'll share that in our show notes. Yeah, okay. Nice, 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 nice. Well, this has been very... Great getting to know you and understanding the mind behind all of these wonderful innovations and innovations that are to come because we are looking Mm -hmm. and happy to support you in solutions and looking to see Price Valley coming to a city near us everywhere. Because Mm -hmm. I really feel like and, you know, just going back to my comment about climate change and farming, you know, we do need to. To streamline, and as you mentioned, you know, hopefully, with more people going directly to farmers, then we can influence policy in a way that creates the infrastructure that's necessary exactly. for food security. Because I think that is, um, you know, if food is sixty percent of a budget, that is a very insecure place, and there are so many yeah. things that can, in between you and that much in the production, be addressed. So,
1: yeah,
0: thank you for that, and, and thank so, you very much. Yeah, as we close, do you have any last words to share with our listeners?
1: Well, if you're African, you solve a problem. There are too many problems here. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I like that. Yeah,
1: that would be my fix. Yeah. Yes,
0: yes, yes. Please, solve a problem, folks. Let's be let's be solvers. Yeah. All right. Well, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with a new episode at www.glocalcitizenspod.com dot com and wherever you get your podcasts spotify apple amazon google anywhere you get a podcast you can catch us please share like subscribe tell a friend post on your social media and until next time bye for now